let's let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, now be with us. Open our hearts and our minds. Let us hear. Let us understand. Amen. Uh, you guys have your program. You see, we'll be uh, dealing with Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. As you turn there, um, I know you see the topic as the gingerbread man, and I'll explain more about that uh, uh, just a little while. It won't be the focus primarily of the text, but you'll get the, hopefully you'll get the image um, by then. Um, so grateful uh, to Pastor Alex and the leadership here for having me come and uh, speak to you all. Uh, it's a task that I do not take lightly at all. Um, James Earl Massey and Gardner C. Taylor uh, coined the phrases when uh, referring to preaching as the sweet torture of Sunday morning um, and a burdensome joy. And so we are grateful for Alex and his uh, his uh, dedication and his studies to us uh, for the text. And so um, it's always great to preach in a place where uh, your friends and families attend, uh, which is what I did last Sunday, and I get to come back and do it again this Sunday, uh, just not in Mississippi this time, obviously. And so uh, it's good to see you guys smiling faces. That makes me feel a little more at ease, and, and uh, it, it leads me to the conclusion that you look beautiful today. That's what it, that's what it caused me caused me to do. Um, of course, the most beautiful amongst the crowd is here, my wife, and uh, I'm so thankful for her on this day as well. As my son, uh, Shalom. I think we sung the Jehovah Jireh song, uh, last time I, I got ready to preach. And so he heard his name, Shalom, every now and then. And so that's, that's pretty cool. Yahweh Jireh, Yahweh Shalom, and so forth. Um, and so I'm, I'm grateful for, for that. Thank you, patience, for leading us in, in service. Um, and there's so many other people. I, I, I don't want to call out names because too many of you all have helped us. And, 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 and so I owe, I owe, just about all you all to say hello to, but there are just a couple of people I want to just say hey to. Uh, uh, I got a couple of co-workers uh, and former students uh, that decided to just grace me with their presence, uh, Ali and Claire, and so I just want to at least, so when they go back and uh, listen to this online on the website, they can say that I said their names, uh, but they, they helped out at the camp last summer, and if Alex, Alex and I, we was talking, and we, I almost came and preached earlier near the summertime, and usually during the summertime when I preach you all are aware, I give you all an update on camp and the fire services or the sermons uh, that the series we go through then, uh, but it's a little too far removed, and I didn't feel like going back and uh, looking at my notes on that, uh, but when they came in, uh, Claire and, and Allie, you guys know this very well, I was thinking of Leviticus 20, uh, 26, which was our theme of verse for the summer, which is from God saying, you are to be holy because I, the Lord, am holy, and I've set you apart so that from the other people so you can be mine. And, and we looked at that this summer, which we're not going to look at today. But just as you look at it, he requires us to be holy for one reason. It's because he's holy. If we're his people, we're supposed to reflect that. Um, but there's, how can we be holy? Well, we all know that the word holy means to be set apart or uh, sanctified and so forth, those type of words. Well, the very next line says, for I have set you apart. And so the expectation is for you to be holy because I'm holy and because I have made you holy. And so you just need to act like it uh, sometimes. Uh, and, and, and so just think about that, even though that's not our focus, just something to work, wonder about. 
Uh, I, I'm going to do my best to, to get us out of here, you know, on normal time. Uh, my football team doesn't play today. We, my team played Thursday, so I'm not in a hurry. Uh, and so, uh, and so that's, that's a little bit of a, uh, unfortunate thing for us, perhaps. Uh, uh, so for those that don't know, uh, I, I used to work here and, uh, I guess, I guess the best title, I know y'all had an official title and everything, you know, that you had to turn into HR, but the real title was just like guinea pig, you know, youth pastor, right? Is that what it, yeah, okay, everybody was here know that. So I'm basically here for four years to make sure I can tell everybody what not to do, uh, after I leave. And so I miss hanging out with, uh, Alex and Patience and Cynthia during our, uh, during our, uh, staff meetings, uh, which, you know, there was a lot of, Funny, I keep it, you know, what happens in staff meetings stays in staff meetings. I know Alex swore to secrecy, uh, but, but, uh, it was a, it was a privilege to work here those years and they set me up to where I'm at now, uh, working full time at Lincoln Village Ministry and adjunct professor at, uh, Birmingham Theological Seminary and, uh, Huntsville Bible College. And so it's a joy and it's a privilege. And I say that because my sermons are now more of a, kind of a lecture almost more than preaching, but my mentor, Robert Smith, calls it prectoring. Uh, when you combine preaching and lecturing together, uh, he called it prectoring because leeching wouldn't sound right. Uh, <laughs> I'm assuming that's the reason he came to that conclusion. Uh, but in my Bible classes, in, in, my, in Bible college, I get a lot of amens and uh, some mmms every now and then. And so, uh, so I think it's sometimes leaning more towards preaching than anything. Uh, the, the Luke 15 Verses 11 through 32. I'm just going to read the first verse of that section. It's going to, I know it's going to sound like eisegesis for a moment, but it says, And he said, A man had two sons. And we'll just go ahead and you can read the rest of the parable there. But the focus is on the man that had two sons. <clears throat> My son loves to read books. He loves to read books. He also likes to listen to the books that uh, YouTube allows us to have for free, that's, that read to your kids and so forth. Surely most of your parents out there, you aren't doing that. You're sitting down and reading every single book to your child. You're not being lazy like I am. Uh, but one of his favorite books is The Gingerbread Man. All right. Now, if you don't know the story, it's about an older couple that lives out in the farm area, and the wife is making the meal, and she decides to spice it up. She's going to make gingerbread, but this time she's going to cut it in the shape of a man. And so she cuts it in the shape of a man. She adds the eyes and the mouth and the buttons and all that, and she Cooks them, I'm assuming, 350 degrees for 15 minutes-ish. Anybody here got a, all right, close enough. All right, sounds good. After the time uh, has passed, the oven is ready. She pulls them out, and he gets up and takes off running. All right, and so she chases after him because she wants to have him for dinner, her and her husband. And he says, no, you're not going to eat me. And he casts his phrase, run, run as fast as you can. You can't catch me. I'm the gingerbread man. Perhaps you've heard of it. All right. As she's chasing him, her husband sees his wife running down the street after this cookie. And he's not baffled at all. He just asks, hey, what's going on? No time to talk. We got to catch the gingerbread man for dinner tonight. So he starts chasing him and the gingerbread man again. Run, run, fast. You can't, you can't catch him. I'm gingerbread man. And as the story goes on, you have animals such as cows and horse and chickens and pigs. And, and all these, you have this whole town chasing the gingerbread man. And finally, he gets past them, and he gets to this body of water. It depends on what version you're reading, a lake or a river. And he knows, I can't get in the water. I get soggy. 
and there's a fox. And the fox says, oh, you want to get across? I'm about to head over if you want to hop on my back. <laughs> You're not going to trick me, right? You just want to eat me. What does the fox say? You, your, your little self. Oh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't help my appetite any. Look, I'm about to go. You need to make up your mind. So the gibber man obliged and he gets on his back. And either again, depending on the version you're reading, either his back gets sore or the water raises up. So he convinces him to move on his neck. And then he convinces him to move on his head. Then on his snout, and sorry for whoever hasn't read the story, he eats him. Alright? At which my point, at which point my son turns says, Gingerbread man gone bye bye. <laughs> yes, he's gone, he's gone bye bye. All gone. All gone. Gone bye bye. But it's at that point in the story that you realize this story isn't about the gingerbread man. It's about the fox. It's about the, the sly, cunning, wise fox. The story doesn't teach you to run for people taunting them, saying run, run as fast as you can. All right? Perhaps that's what Usain Bolt got from the story. But that's not what the rest of us should have gotten. The story is about using your brains and outwitting things and outwitting people and others instead of trying to use your athleticism all the time. And so even though he has his own catchphrase, right, run, run as fast as you can, you can't catch me, I'm the gingerbread man, the story isn't supposed to be focused on him. Here in this text, we have a story, and it's not supposed to be about the prodigal son. It's about the loving father. It's not about a sinful son, but a forgiving father. It's not about the wandering child, but the patiently seeking parent. So let's go ahead and put it in context. Uh, the context is going to be found in chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. All right. This, what I mean when I say context is let's find the setting. Let's see who was there, who was listening, who was he talking to, and who was talking. All right. So we see here that all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him, this is Jesus, to listen to him. Now, here's what we mean when we say tax collectors and sinners. These are people that are not just outcast by the society, but they're extremely hated by the society, especially tax collectors. See, we view the tax collectors in the Bible as Oh, they're just the people that they got to come take money and they take more than they should. That's not just it, though. These are Jewish people that are collecting money from other Jewish people to give to the Roman Empire that is overseeing their operations, their their land that has overtaken them. Now, how do you overtake such a large amount of people? Because remember, Rome at at this time, they have, for the most part, conquered the entire world as far as they know it. How can you do that? How can you conquer? Now, nowadays, it's easy, right? You can just, hey, I have a bomb. Be good, right? But they didn't, they didn't have all that. So how can you do that? Well, a lot of soldiers. A lot of soldiers and a lot of people that are willing to tell on anyone that gets in trouble. Now, how do you fund this operation? You charge the people that you have a slave to you. And so the Jewish people see their own people helping their oppressors. And we really can't have, we don't really have anyone to compare to like that in today's time. But imagine uh, 
you know, a world where we were, you know, under the control of someone, right? So just so I won't jinx us, I'm going to use an imaginary thing like wizards, okay? I don't want to say China, then it ain't happening, and everybody points at me. It's like, you're the prophet or whatever. So let's say we're captured by wizards. And the only way wizards can stay in power of us is that we ourselves constantly give them money. But you won't do it. But yet you have other people that are taking your money and giving it to them. You, you feel like, oh, you took more than you're supposed to. You're angry. You hate them. You feel like they're traitors. And so sinners aren't just, oh, these are the prostitutes or the thieves. Sinners in this day and time is anyone that doesn't live up to the Pharisees' ideal of righteousness. So it can be a Jewish person that he's a sinner. Why? He's not as good as I am. And so you have, that's, that's the first part, verse, verse 1. These are the people that are coming to Jesus. Look at the reaction in verse 2. Both the Pharisees and the scribes, these are the religious elites, begin to grumble. Now, again, we give the Pharisees a hard time when we we read the Bible. All right. We don't like them. Jesus doesn't like them. That's one of the reasons we don't like them. I get it. But you got to understand, these people were very, very religious. All right. You think, you know, you think you're all that and you go to church every now and then. These people had the Pharisees. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorized, right? Some of you are like still working on Psalm 23, okay? The Pharisees are the religious elite. In fact, they set laws higher than God. If God said go to bed at 1030, they say, we go to bed at 9. And so you can wake up one day feeling good about yourself, man. For a week straight, I've gotten up at 5 in the morning without complaining and read my Bible. And the Pharisees are like, that's it? That's it? I've been up four days straight memorizing it. And you're like, is there any hope for me, right? Is there any hope? In fact, they are so religious that Jesus used them as an example of how righteous you have to be to get to heaven. Unless you're uh, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you can't get into heaven. Everyone that heard that immediately gave up. There's no hope. There's no hope. These are the best of the best. Imagine, imagine I had a, a Navy SEAL person come in and he's working on, you know, 1,050th push-up. And I said, unless you can do more push-ups than him, you can't be an American citizen. Then you'll start looking at brochures where a candle looks nice, right? These are the best of the best, and Jesus says you have to get better than them. So then, this is where we're at. They, the religious people, are grumbling. The Bible says, they say, this man receives sinners and eat with them? We don't. We have set the standard. These people do not sit with us at the dinner table. And he claims to be this great person. No, that's not how it works. It uses a lot of words about them, such as here in verse two, uh, verse two, they grumble. The Bible says over and over stuff like they argued with him. They tested him. They complained. They grumbled. They accused. They stoned. They arrested. They even convinced the crowds to crucify him. This is the people we're dealing with here. Jesus knows 
they're grumbling. So he tells a parable. Now, here's, the, here's how I want you to understand parables. Parables are earthly stories with heavenly truths. All right. Jesus one time said that he designed them to hide the secrets of the kingdom from the wicked, which is funny because after he tells them, the disciples come and say, what does it mean? We don't know what it means. <laughs> He's like, you, you little faith, how much longer do I have to explain these things to you? And so that's why in the Bible we have a lot of times uh, where Jesus tells a parable and they don't, he explains it because the people that were supposed to understand it didn't. Uh, Jalen uh, Taylor, one of my uh, former students as well and co-workers, he always texts me like all the time about the Bible. And recently he texts me, uh, oh, he texts me, why did they throw in the story of the fig tree out of nowhere? I think it was in March. I could be wrong. He just texted me that. He just, I don't know. He didn't say good morning or nothing. And so why did they, why did they do it? And then I, I was like, if I'm, if I'm correct, I think Jesus explains that later. So I went and found it, and I said, read verse 22. And he's just, oh, ha, 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 I, I didn't get that far. All right? Because that's what Jesus does. He explains things when we don't understand them to those that are supposed to understand them. And he does it with the parables. So then we have here, Jesus telling the parable. Now, oftentimes, the parables, listen to this, condemns the self-righteous and gives hope to the sinners. The parable oftentimes compares sinners to the self-righteous, the wicked, to the religious, and in this case, the prodigals to the Pharisees. It's not the first time a parable does this. Uh, if you look at Luke 18, Jesus gives a parable of two men praying in the temple. And he says there was a religious elite, I think he said a Pharisee that came into the temple, and his he prayed. And his prayer was, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this man. I thank you that I have my life together. I thank you that you have made me such a, a religious and great person. Thank you, thank you, thank you that I'm so awesome. Now, he didn't tell the whole prayer, but I preached just somewhere and said, you're lucky that I go to church and you're lucky I give my tithes. Well, how fortunate are you that I'm on your team? And then he says, there's another man that prayed. And he ripped his outer garments and he told the Lord how pitiful he was. He told the Lord how pathetic he was. It's the comparison of the Pharisees to the sinners. In Matthew 21 and 22, he gives three parables that does the same. The first is of two sons. One, the father, the first son, the father tells him to do something. The son says he won't do it, but later he does. The second son, the father tells him to do something. He says he will do it, but he never does it. It's the comparison of the first son, the sinners that repent, and the religious that say they're going to do it, but they never do the righteous things. He also gives the parable of the tenant, where they, the religious ones or the righteous ones, they end up beating and killing his servants, even his own son that he sent to them. And then the last parable is that of a wedding feast where those that were invited, those that knew the invitation, didn't come. So he went out and got the outcast. Yeah, so you can see then the parables that, that differentiate between the sinners and the saints. Check this out. In Matthew 23 and Luke 11, he gives woes, W-O-E, not woes, slow down there, to the Pharisees. He calls them, all right, fools, 
but he fellowships with the sinners. He whips the Pharisees out of the temple, but he invites the sinners into his kingdom. He cusses the self-righteous, but blesses the man that knows that he done, he's done wrong. Why is this? It's the same reason he called David a man after his own heart. Now, David wasn't righteous by a long shot, right? He wasn't a moral, perfect view at all. He was a lying, killing, adulterous man. But one thing David was an expert at was repenting. If you read Psalms like Psalm 51, he says, have mercy on me, God, according to your steadfast love. Wash me and cleanse me from my sins. I know my transgressions are ever before me. Against you and only you have I sinned. Create in me a clean heart and cast me not from your presence. David knew how to repent. And so it is that Jesus wants from his people not self-righteousness, but repentance. So we have the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. All that were lost, if you read Luke 15, were found by the seeker. Now notice who was lost, right? The seeker isn't the one that's lost, all right? Stop saying you found God one day. God was never missing. You don't put God on a milk carton box. You were lost. God was in the same place he's always been. Where is that? Everywhere at all times. Right? It, it, you, you know, you may have heard that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, right? Which leads us to the phrase, God is good and all the time. Well, if that's true for one attribute, it's true for all of them. God is everywhere, all the time, and all the time God is all right, God is all-powerful, and all the time, God is. God is faithful, and all the time, it's the essence of his name, Yahweh. And that leads me to conclude that you don't even have to add the attributes. God is all the time, and all the time, God is. So then, lost sheep, lost coin, lost boy. In verse 12, he comes to his father. I read verse 11. A man had two sons. And the younger one comes to the father and he says, Father, give me what is going to be given to me when you die. Now, it sounds kind of like, oh, let's just keep reading the story. Those that were there and heard that would have been shocked. That was very insulting. He, at, at worst, at worst, he was saying, I wish you was dead. At the very least, he should have got a beat. He says, give to me what I'm going to get. I want the money, the freedom. I want everything I'm going to have when you're dead. I want it now. And I don't know why in the Bible. I'm not going to read it to the text, so it's not there. I don't know why, but the father does it. You know, sometimes, I, you know, when you work with people in the areas I have, you just sometimes let them have what they want. Romans 1 tells us that what God is doing to those that have a hard heart is turn them over to their desires. He turns them over to their own desires. That C.S. Lewis said, right, that at the end of the day, one or two things are going to be said. Either you're going to say to God, your will be done, or God's going to say to you, your will be done. And hell is what? Getting what you want. Hell isn't just getting what you deserve. 
because we deserve much worse. Hell is getting what you want. You spend your whole life rejecting God, saying, I want nothing to do with him. And so when you die, he says, okay. He's not going to fight you on it. And so then the father gives him what he asked for. Again, don't know why. I know what I would have gave Salah if he would have. I ended there before uh, Alex come back. Verse 13 tells us he spent it all. Now, the way it says that your, your, your translation may say different. Mine says he spent it on loose living. Uh, some says other things uh, like wasteful living and so forth. But that word actually includes and gives a hint of a very disgraceful lifestyle. That he was not just throwing parties and getting wasted, but he was having illegitimate company and illegitimate relationships. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Isn't it interesting that this son, after he finally got the money and things he wanted, he didn't spend it on his family? He spent it on strangers? That he didn't say, hey, dad, thank you so much for this. Here's a new, uh, I guess, camel or whatever that was going at that day and time. All right. No, he went and spent it on strangers. He had people with him that took advantage of him. That he enjoyed momentary pleasures without considering the long-term consequences. He did not plan for the future. He focused only on the here and now. He was wasteful and selfish. And the Bible says in verse 14, after he spent all he had, a severe famine came. That's kind of how life goes sometimes, ain't it? I don't know, I don't know about y'all, but that's how life, life sometimes can be unpredictable or some would even call it cruel. That of all the days, I've had that umbrella in my car every single day this week. The one day I left it out, the rain come. Isn't that how it goes sometimes? That I got my phone on me 24-7, don't ever need to call someone. I leave it in the car, go in the store, I need to call everybody. That's how life goes sometimes. When you got a job, you're healthy, you're happy, everyone's checking on you. The moment you need $5, can't get a ride up the street. I'm not talking about me. You guys you guys love us very well. I'm not talking about me. I'm just talking about that's how life goes, though. That's how life goes. And so then he spent all he had, and a severe famine came. Verse 14 explains to us that when his money left, the famine came. That's how things go sometimes. Life is a life where things are coming and going. That oftentimes, listen, you're going to have something. You're either going to have good or bad, righteous or unrighteous, holy or unholy. It's going to be coming and going. Either something is good there or something bad is there, but you're not just going to be empty. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? Like if you, the Bible tells us, for example, to take off the old man. But that is followed up with putting on the new man. The Bible doesn't have you out with outside with nothing on. That either good is coming in or bad is coming in, but something's coming in. And here, money left, I'm not equated to good, and the famine came. And my question is, now that he has nothing, where are those people at that was partying with him every night? Oh, he has no money, no possessions, and no friends. Where, where were those people at that borrowed money from? 
that drank his drink. Did I say that right? Ate his food. They're gone. Why? You guys know why. Because they were there for the things he had and not for him. You guys gotta, you guys gotta find out who are there with the right intentions in your life. The Bible calls it discernment. You, you can't just let everyone in your life and let them take advantage of you. You have to be wise in your dealings with other people. And because of this, everyone that, that ate his food, partied with him, borrowed his clothes, borrowed his car or horse or whatever, they're in the going now. And he's hit rock bottom. And so as he's there at rock bottom, he gets a job. I commend him for that. And it's a job that requires him to feed pigs. Jewish people have nothing to do with pigs. And he's about to feed the pig. And as he's feeding them, the Bible says he is so hungry that he actually, it crossed his mind, man, I, I, I wish I could have some of that. And that's when he gets to the lowest part. This is the other side of gratitude. We just celebrated Thanksgiving. This is where the other side of gratitude leads you. When you're not grateful, children, well, and adults, listen up. When you're not grateful for things, when you're not thankful for things, you think if I can get more and kick certain people out of my life, kick rules out of my life, then I can be happy finally. And you forget that you already had. Listen, he, he came to the conclusion. My servants, my dad's servants, has it better than I have it. Wait a minute, you got servants? We just found that out. You want to leave your house and you have servants? He's not grateful. My, my, my dad's servants has food to eat. My dad's servants has plenty of food, plenty of warm water, plenty of beds. Then what was your problem? What was your problem? He concludes that his father's servants has it better than him. And so what he does is he realizes he made a terrible mistake and he does what all of what Christ wants all men and women to do. Repent. He repents. He says in verse 18, 19, I'm going to go to my father. I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. It, I, I don't deserve to be your son anymore. Can I just be a servant? You see that? He has, he has the right mindset. Jesus is going to tell us in a couple of chapters in Luke 17, 10, when you do all that is commanded of you, simply say we are unworthy servants. They have just done what we were commanded. Paul always introduced himself as a servant of Christ. In fact, you and I long to hear those words from Christ on that glorious day. Well done, thy good and faithful. So he has the right mindset now. He has the right mindset. So now we get to the climax of the story. And he's returning to his father. And his father sees him far off. It, that looks like my son. Right? He, he looks different, but that's my son. He smells, but that's my son. He's dirty. He's limping. He spent all the money I gave him. His clothes are gone, but that's my son. And he does in this story what is considered an embarrassing act. He runs to his son. It's not just embarrassing because he's running to someone that just took advantage of him. Jewish men didn't run. It looked ridiculous. 
Because they, you know, they wore robes, so they would have to hike their robes up, and they would have to run in a certain way, as you can see in your head, that made it look embarrassing. So guess what? He didn't care about that at the moment. I see my son, and he runs to him. So where's the focus is on? The focus is on the father. Throughout the story, the son came to his father. The son reflected that his father has service. I will go to my father. And now it's back on the father. And the father embarrasses himself. It says in verse 20, he ran, he embraced, and he kissed his son. And you can see the story. You can see it in your head. The son begins to, to, to say what he's been rehearsing. Father, I, I've, I, for, please forget, I've I messed up. And he says, hush. And he tells the servants, go and get the best robe. We don't got time to shower him right now. Go get the best robe and put him on my son. Now, go get a ring. The ring is going to signify he's part of the family. He's not a servant. He's a child of mine. Bring him into my house. Go get some shoes. And throw a party. Do you see that? He says, robe, ring, sandals, party. And while the party is going on, the older son is angry. He's jealous. And he refuses to come in. So who do we see the story focused on again? The father goes out to his older son. The patient, seeking father has now gone after both of his sons. This son is self-righteous. He's representing the Pharisees here. This son is upset. Wait a minute. Let me get this straight. I've been here this whole time. I've been working all day today and ever since. And I haven't even got a goat. And this brother of mine, whatever he said, you guys have been a family reunion just recently. He has spent all of the money that you gave him, and he gets a party? I haven't even gotten to thank you today. He doesn't deserve this party. I deserve it. Now, in case you haven't seen yourself in the prodigal son yet, you see yourself here. This person doesn't deserve salvation. This person? He he was just, he was just, she was just, I've been. Do you see yourself? And it, maybe you don't, maybe it's not salvation. Christ tells us to love everyone. And this, this touched on people, reason why I said it. No, this person don't get my love. This person? No, no, you don't know what they did for me. They don't, you don't know what they did to me. They do not get my love. Forgiveness? No, no, no. There are some people that don't deserve my forgiveness. Do you see yourself now? And he's refused. Now, again, because he's representing the Pharisees, the story cuts off without letting us know whether or not he went into the party. It can be safe to assume either way. But since it's representing the Pharisees, and we know how Jesus feels about the Pharisees, it's safer to assume he probably didn't go to the party. Now, now let me get this straight, Jesus said, or the Father said, this is your brother, this is my son. He was once lost, but is now found. He was once dead, but is now alive. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. This is still the other side of gratitude. 
Because gratitude will have you happy that anyone can partake in the blessings and the joy that you experience. But the other side of gratitude, that part that's jealous and envious and want more, says, I want it all to myself. How dare they get a job promotion the, the same week I get one? Can we not celebrate me for another month? Your birthday is what day? That's too close to mine. I don't know. Whatever it is for you, I can't do all the applications. But we see here that the older son doesn't want to go. So when we read the story, we see the focus is on the father pursuing both of his children. The story isn't about the children, but about the father. Stop making yourself the hero in the text. You're not able that's being persecuted by all the canes in the world. You're Cain. You're, you're, you're not Moses leading the, the Israelites on this great quest, freeing people. No, 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 no. You're the grumbling Israelites. It's like, at least we had graves in Egypt. You're not slaying any Goliaths. I'm sorry. Your father is doing that. You're the scared siblings of David on the sidelines saying, don't do it. The story and the text and the message and history and all of life isn't about you. It's about God and his mission. We just celebrated the church anniversary. And as long as God and his mission is at the forefront, we will celebrate more. Because it's all about him, not us. It's about his kingdom, his gospel message, not us. It's about Jesus and his birth and life and death. You guys know the story. The father looked down from afar and he saw his children. And as the father in this text had compassion, Christ had compassion. And he did something embarrassing. God became man. It looked embarrassing. It looked ridiculous. The angels were like, what? He did more embarrassing things such as God eating man's food. God relying on humans to take care of him. God building other humans' houses. That's embarrassing. And then he did the most embarrassing thing that a man can do. Die on a tree. He suffered the most embarrassing death of all by being whipped and beaten, by being marched, by being stretched and nailed, by being lifted up and being made fun of, that's embarrassing. By dying, a God dying, that's embarrassing. And we know that he rose three days afterwards. And he told us he was going to. In fact, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you one day. If I go to prepare a place for you, I must come back to receive so that where I am, you are also. So one day, I'm going to return home. We're going to return home. And guess what? We're going to be met and greeted with our, by our father with his arms outstretched. He's going to run and he's going to run and embrace and kiss us. And he's going to tell the angels the best robe, the ring, the sandals, the crown. And let's throw a party. 
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you and we love you. We declare today that it's all about you. It's not about us, but it's all about you. And on that day, when we're in your presence, we will sing the theme song of heaven, holy, 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 glory to the Lord Almighty. Holy, 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 glory to the Lord Almighty. In Christ's name, amen.